your backup plan tribe that went really quickly today. I'm so excited to be here with you all. I have an exciting guest today and you do not want to miss it. Her name is Dr. Neosha Ponder and she comes to us from Washington, DC. And let me tell you, she has a cancer that's called Clarence. And I absolutely love it. Why do I love it? Well, because I think something so horrible that you go through can actually, you can make fun of it, so to speak. And I'm sure she's going to talk to us about that. And I love her story. And I'm so excited to be able to share this with you guys today. If you are new here, welcome. My name is Tina Ginn. I am from your Backup Plan app. I am the creator and the developer of your Backup Plan. And I would just like to say that I'm also an emergency preparedness coach and I look at everything at a risk management level. So is it risky? Is your life risky? Is what you're doing risky? All of that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I just wish maybe that I could have learned a lot more about it than learning the hard way way back when, when you actually have gone through things. It's like, why, why universe did you share that with us? Why did you share that with me? But hey, we learn the hard way and that's sometimes the only way to learn. So I'm so excited to have her on here today. You know, when we talk about real life stories each and every week, on our show with, with guests that can share their life-changing events and their tragedies, their traumas, or their accidents, or share their sicknesses with, them, with us. And you know, in the blink of an eye, anything can happen. And something usually does happen and it's life-changing and something unexpected hits you and it stuns you and forever and ever for a very long time after you have you lose your so-called logic brain is what i'd like to call it and that's why i came to about creating a backup plan for people so that they have it at their fingertips when they need it and that's why it organizes it it helps you put it all together so that when you are in that umbrella of not knowing which way is up when something does occur, that you can easily look at your, your notes and your organization of your plan and really be able to say, I don't have to worry about that because I've got that. And I've got that and I know where to find that and I've got that. So all that being said, I'd love to have you um, stay tuned for Neosha to come back and give us her story. Stay tuned in a quick second. In the blink of an eye, life can change dramatically. On our podcast, Talking Taboo with Tina, we delve into these life-altering events with celebrities, authors, and everyday people just like you. You'll also discover your Backup Plan app, a life-organizing tool designed to prepare you for any unexpected circumstance. It's your safety net, taking the sting out of tragedy. Imagine a plan B that ensures your finances are safe, even in the worst-case scenario. But it doesn't end there. Join our vibrant Facebook group for free webinars on backup planning and secure your future today. Against all odds, Clarence the Tumor and the remarkable story 
of a breast cancer survivor like Dr. Neosha Ponder. And here she comes on our stage today. Hey. Hello. So happy to have you on our show today. Thank you and, for having me. And thank you because you're bringing a whole other different avenue, how we're going to think about breast cancer and cancer itself. I'm so happy to have you on our show. I love it. Who knew battling breast cancer could have a bit of humor on the side of it. And so thank you for coming on our show. And where did all the, this start for you? Um, well, on April 8th, 2016 at 5 37 p.m i was adjusting my boob in a tank top because it was twisted um and like most women do you know because i was laying in bed and um i just felt a lump and i immediately looked at the clock because i knew my life would never be the same so true yeah so i um and then i heard god tell me this is why you can't find a job I have a bigger job for you. So, you know, I had just earned my doctorate degree from Howard University um, the year prior, almost a year to the date. Um, and I had been looking for a job. I was teaching at two different universities at Howard University and Trinity Washington University. I still teach at Trinity and I, um, I couldn't find a job and I didn't understand why my mental health was waning. You know, I was, uh, not feeling adequate. You know, I felt like I'd gone to school for my whole life. I had been in grad school for seven years and couldn't find a job. And I was really struggling with that at the time. And when I found Clarence, it was like, okay, God, I'm ready to fight. And let's do this. Yep. That's what I did for three years. And so um, after you finding it, no, it could be nothing, right? No. It could be. No. When somebody finds a lump, it could be benign. If God didn't tell me this is why I couldn't find a job, because he has a bigger job for me, if he didn't say anything, then. But I knew. Yes. And when I said to God later that evening, I was in a movie theater. I still don't know what movie I saw. While I was writing my book, I was looking for the name of the movie that I saw and I couldn't find it. I don't remember. And I sat in a movie theater by myself and it was probably like two other people in the whole theater. And I said, I'm not ready, God. I'm not ready. And he said, you need to fight. And I said, okay. So he wouldn't tell me to fight a benign tumor. No. So that, and it was very pronounced too. I've never, um, I had never had a mammogram before <laughs> I had to have one. Um, I touch my boobs often, you know, that's going to oh, yeah. always be my message to women and girls. Touch your boob. You grew them yourself. They're yours. Yeah. Nothing wrong with the, you know, that's a taboo thing, right? Oh my God, don't touch your private parts. No, they're yours. Touch them. I tell, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people in relationships, touch your partner's body. You know, my best friend um, who went to a lot of appointments with me early on, he is married to a man. And I told him, touch Clarence. This is what a lump feels like that's not supposed to be there. Even though your husband doesn't have breast, you may feel a lump in his neck, in his chest, in his back, on his shoulder. So you need yeah. to know what it feels like. So I say touch your boobs. That's my hashtag. 
touch your boot. They're yours. Why not? <laughs> and, and hey, men get breast cancer too. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And we don't know why. I wish we would. We'd all be filthy rich if we did. Right. I have a theory about my personal situation, but yeah, uh, we don't know. No. And um, unfortunately, you know, one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. And, you know, I'm one of one of the eight, you know, I'm the only person in my family and I'm very familiar with my family, you know, history. Yeah. Yeah. History. Only person breast cancer. And so young too. I was 36. Yeah. So was what 30. was it like to the doctor and having this appointment when you kind of already know in your head? Yeah. But mm -hmm. Oh, so it was the day when doves cried. There's a whole chapter in my book called when doves cried. So on April 21st, 2016, I had a doctor's appointment, a 1230 mammogram and ultrasound. And as I'm walking to the hospital, because again, I'm at Howard University and I had to meet with students later that day. So I was, as I'm walking to the Howard University hospital, my cousin calls me and says he just saw on TMZ that Prince died. And I sat down. It was like a wall outside the Howard University Medical School. And I sat down, I said, what? And then he said, yeah, but they don't know for sure, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, they've been killing him since Michael Jackson died. Yeah. And I got a golf ball in my boob. I'm trying to go get it looked at. I can't deal with this right now. I said, it's not trending on Twitter. So I'm not going to believe it until it's trending on Twitter. So um, he was like, wait a minute. What you got in your boob? You know, it's funny. It's my you know, favorite cousin. He calls me like I'm Google. So I said, I'll call you later. I walked to the hospital. By the time I got to the entrance of the hospital, which is like a block, less than a block away, everybody was sad and talking about Prince dying. It was crazy how it went that quick. I checked in for the mammogram and the woman with a thick island accent, he was so nice, but I'm dealing with my own stuff, right? She said, did you know Prince died? And she wants to talk about it. And then I was like, yeah, but I, I'm just checking in for my appointment. My appointment's at 1230. And then she looked at me and then looked down and she goes, what are you getting a mammogram for? You're so young. So that was my first time feeling offended. Now, there have been other times throughout my journey, but that was my first time. I was like, I just want to check in so I can get the mammogram, okay? Like, I just did not feel like I had to tell this woman this. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, I'm not as young as I look, and I just left it at that. So when I went in, I didn't know you're not supposed to wear deodorant because I hadn't told anyone in my family. See, the thing about my family is they want answers. So if I don't have answers, I'm not telling them. And I decided I wasn't gonna tell them, and I had hold held on to the secret for two weeks um until I got answers. Yeah. And when I went in, uh, the, the tech that does the mammogram, she uh, asked me, did I have on deodorant? I said, yeah. She said, you have to wash your underarms. And I said, oh, I didn't know because I hadn't talked to anyone. Yeah. And um, so I do the mammogram. And it was funny because I'm five foot two. And I'm on my tippy toes trying to get <laughs> boob on the plate. And I'm not a, I'm, I wasn't, you know, big breasted at all. I was a C cup on a good day because I gained weight over time, you know, as I got older and, um, you know, we, me and the, um, the tech were laughing about it and everything. 
And she, she goes, do you want to know the results now? Or do you want the doctor to call you? I said, oh, the doctor can call me. No big deal. I got to go meet with my students anyway. I don't want them sitting outside my office. So I go to the ultrasound room. Another tech is there. She was, I'm never going to forget her because she was so sweet. She's from Romania. And um, she asked me to lay down. And by the time I laid down to get my arm in the air, the doctor burst into the room. What? Introduced herself and said, I will be doing your mammogram. So the actual radiologist, which is rare, I mean, I will be doing, I'm sorry, your ultrasound. Ultrasound. Because she looked at my mammogram film and was startled by that. It bothered her so much that she had to come in and do my ultrasound herself. Yeah. Um, so she almost hit, knocked the tech out the way. And she and then she said, who is your doctor? Get her doctor on the phone, she says to the tech. Like, she just is so, like, she's shocked at what she saw. So um, I'm, I'm very coy. I'm just... You know, I'm a nonchalant person for the most part anyway. And I'm just laying there. I'm like, I'm just like, I'm ready to start fighting. I don't, I don't really, this is all formality for me. And I, um, and I, and I, this is a story that I tell a lot because this moment while I'm getting the ultrasound and right after um, was a moment that I didn't know I needed. So she's talking to me and making conversation. She finds a lymph node that looks swollen in my armpit and um, she goes, okay, here it is right here. Okay. And then she goes to my armpit and all around and she goes, okay, I see a fatty lymph node there and she's looking other places. She then she looks at the other breast and she said, okay, I don't see anything here. This looks good. And then she said, you're going to have to go back and get a mammogram of your other breast. And I said, okay. And, um, and so she said, so then she said, uh, how old are you? And I'm telling her and, all this stuff. And I'm like very professional, not really giving her a lot of uh, energy. And she said, uh-uh, sit up. And I sat up on, on, on the table and she said, she grabbed my hands like this. And she said, are you Christian? And I said, yes, ma'am. I go to Reed Temple AME Church in Glendale, Maryland. And she said, do you have family here? And when she said that, I just full on ugly cry, as Oprah would say. Oh, dear. Because I hadn't told my family and I'm close to my family. So hadn't told my family. And it just that broke me. It brought reality and, to what you. Yeah. yeah it, it made me understand the gravity of the situation and that I have to tell not only my mom, who ain't going to take the news well because she's just Pam and she's special. Um, but then I have to also tell my biological father that another one of his children has cancer. That was hard. So I had my uncle tell him because I couldn't. My brother at the time was living with multiple myeloma. So um, it, I just... That's not fun. Yeah. And my father was a, a, a myeloma survivor at the time. And uh, so... She, I needed that auntie moment, you know, I needed yeah. her to tell me, sit up. And she took my hands into hers. And when she asked me if I had family, it just broke me. And I realized that I had uh -oh. to tell my family this. So, um, 
I had to go to the mammogram again. It just brings reality to the it whole did. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And um, so after, um, of course, I was ended up at the hospital. What was supposed to be like a couple of hours turned into like six. Um, I left there. It was getting dark. And um, and it was the longest walk to my car. Mm-hmm. You know, I had had to get on my phone and send an email canceling appointments with students. And um, my legs felt like jello. Yeah. And I, I was like thinking, how do I tell? Tell my mama. And I called my friend who was in seminary at the time. And I asked her to help me and to pray with me. And I told her everything. And um, she prayed with me. She said, I'll start out with a joke or something, you know, make it light. And yeah. I said, I said, yeah, I'll do that. And that's what I did. You know, I and then I told them, like I told you, on Friday, April 8th at 5.37 p.m., I found a lump in my boob. I said, I just left the, the hospital from getting a mammogram and ultrasound. And um, and another thing that the doctor said when she had my hands and my hands in hers, she said, I've been doing this for over 35 years and I know what I see. You oh. need to tell your family. Well, that's not um, nice though. So she confirmed everything without a biopsy and she scheduled yeah. me a biopsy immediately. She rushed it because she didn't want me sitting with this any longer so that I can start my, you know, my getting my treatment plan together and all the things. Yeah. So it was a, um, you know, I, I never would have thought earning a doctorate and this is what my first real job would be unpaid of course uh and, uh, yeah. and um yeah it was hard you know i i taught the entire time um i had to decide if i was going to have a mammogram then chemo chemo then mem- i mean a shoot mastectomy chemo chemo then i had choices because i was diagnosed officially with um stage 2b induct invasive ductal carcinoma so from the time that you had the mammogram was a week from the time you knew to the mammogram and then how long was it that you were diagnosed so i count my diagnosis as the day i had the mammogram that's what i counted as because she knew what she saw and i trusted her um, so that's the day of my, that's my survivorship day. Okay. And or when did you start the plan? Um, so I had to have a needle biopsy the very, the following Monday. And then, um, that was quick. she rushed it for me. And then from there, I, um, I had to, you know, start telling family and friends and stuff. And I, my sorority sister, um, her mom had breast cancer, had a double mastectomy. And I I knew I wanted a double mastectomy, just so you know. No matter what they saw, I didn't care. Take them, you're killing me. Yeah. Um, Some people don't don't choose to do that, no judgment, but this was for me. Um, So she told me to go to this particular doctor and he was known as the breast guy. And he, um, he had trained so many young black doctors in the area. He had worked at Howard for a long time, but he was at a different hospital. So I went to the other hospital, which was closer to my house, which was great. Oh, um, and uh, he then, um, you know, 
explain the different things you got you have to find an oncologist you got to find a radiologist you got to find radiology oncologist uh all these different things and he helped guide me with that and then he introduced me to a breast navigator and i'm still i still talk to the breast navigator every now and then um to this day and the breast navigator um, i went to one oncologist but that person they had way too many people in their office and they were kind of rude to me so the breast navigator suggested a different doctor and um and when i felt better with that one oh yeah because dr sethi is my oncologist and i love him he he's he's a Sikh, and um so we immediately bonded because i knew what his turban meant because one of my students is what like a couple of years prior was a Sikh, and he did an informative speech on the turban so i knew and I told him this. I was like, I learned this from my student. And then he knew the student. They went to the same church. It was so uh, And um, And then he said, I think he's in medical school. I was like, yeah, he is. So it was just so, it was great. And um, But the thing that really gave me comfort um, was he told me there were three things you need to beat breast cancer. You okay. Need, you need medicine, you know. You need, you need the chemo and radiation and things. Um, you need support. Yes. You know, uh, family, friends, whoever. Um, but you also need faith. And when he said that, he was my guy. Now, he had a very heavy accent, and I was worried I wasn't going to understand him, but he repeated things for me. He he um, knew I had a PhD, so he knew I wanted to look at data for everything. He explained to me why my staging was the way that it was. I mean, it was very thorough. Um, nice. And he, um, and to this day, you know, I see him twice a year now, and he still tells um, his patients about me. I've had patients uh, order my book because he's told them about me. <laughs> oh, isn't that sweet? Yeah. So um, I gave him a co- an extra copy of my book to gift to a patient, and he put it in the lobby of the of his office. And someone just took the book. So, uh, so yeah. But I'm glad someone got it. And when did you start writing the book? After you had your treatment? Oh, I started writing the book years later. Oh, okay. there's no way I battled, you know, um, homelessness. You know, um, while I was in treatment, I moved five times in three years um, and I couldn't lift anything most of that time. I couldn't do anything with my arms. You know, I had to call on friends and, yeah. um, and you, you know, really my needed jealous. support. Um, I had I didn't have money, so I had to go fund me. Um, and then I had, you know, friends who were very um, successful. So I've, I had friends who would pay my bills. Um, I was renting out rooms, um, but when I was homeless, I stayed at a friend's house, a little basement apartment. Um, he had a bedroom and a living area. He slept on the couch and I slept in his bed for two months, almost two and a half months. Yeah. While I was going through chemo. That's and nice just to have somebody around. He was my angel. Uh, he's he's passed away. As my, the book called God's Got Jokes for a Reason. Uh, so it was like his work here was done or something. Like Just like the um, two weeks before I started chemo, my biological father suddenly passed away while I was going through fertility treatment. Um, so that was like, really? You know, yeah. I, it, throughout this time, there were a lot of really God, really. Yeah. I still say that to him, by the way. Oh, I do too. <laughs> 
But sometimes I look up and say, really? Yeah. Like you can leave mm -hmm. me alone today. I have enough lessons. Thanks. That part. I'm, I'm good today. I'm, I'm good. still working on the previous lesson. Yeah. But yeah, that was me a lot, you know, yeah. um, to live in the same place for nine years and to have a landlord who was my family. My landlord was at my biopsy and then abruptly tell me I have to leave. Oh, on my first day of chemo, she called no and said, way. you have to go. I, I need your your basement apartment for a nanny. I'm never going to forget this. And I was like, what? Really? Like, it was my first day of chemo. I was about to go get something to eat because my doctor told me to eat because I wouldn't have an appetite for a few days. Yep. So I lived in fear for five weeks. Yeah. I'm sorry and to hear that. He didn't help me pack a box, even though I had a double mastectomy. I had just lost my father, underwent fertility treatment. She didn't help me with anything. She just became a different person. Um, I've forgiven her. Uh, we don't have any relationship we don't communicate um and that was really from her um she was really nasty to me um and i'm over here like but i'm sick you know like i'm doing my best yeah um i so had I lived, to go through. Fear. I lived in fear she scared me because i'm sick i slept for days i would leave my key in a rock outside my door for my friends to come over and pack my apartment Nine years, they had to pack it up for me. And when I when I was dealing with that, um, I just, I used to like want to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. um, but my aunt- That doesn't make sense really. Yeah, my, one of my aunties, she's married to my father, my biological father's brother. And we're really close. And she said, you need to leave that place. That place is not healthy for you. No. Um, there's a reason why this is happening to you. God doesn't want you there. So you have to leave. And that gave me a little bit of peace and understanding yeah. in it all because it made me think, okay, but I had nowhere to go. Yeah. Uh, just so happened my friend was like, child, you can come stay with me. And I was like, where? You know, and I had to put my things in storage. I need to help doing that. It was a lot. And a I lot. Just moving alone is a lot. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So it was, it was, I felt abandoned and I had never felt that way before because, you know, my family doesn't abandon people. I didn't grow up like that. Um, and I, I don't abandon people. So yeah. that was new for me. Yeah. Feel abandoned. It got, I mean, for like a couple of years, I didn't even want to drive near the neighborhood because it made me nervous. I had anxiety. Yeah. I would have like heart palpitations and like I would, I, I, I still to this day kind of fear running into her randomly. Like, what would I do? Um, and again, I, I've yeah. prayed about it. Um, and that, that brought me to the point of, you know, forgiveness, but I am, I'm okay without knowing why. Because the reason she gave didn't make sense. Yeah. Um, but that's okay. It was the best thing for you anyways. It it was. I went through a lot after. But, yeah. it you know, I just don't want to be around anyone who doesn't want to support me. You know? That's right. That's the way I feel, too. Yeah. Because it, it's, it just ties you to something, you know? 
-hmm. And if you don't have that and it's going against what you're feeling and seeing and doing, then it's, it's not of any good purpose, especially in the condition that you are in. How long did it take from you being diagnosed to starting the treatment then? Like, did you get your vasectomy done first and then chemo? So what, yeah, what I did um, was because I was stage 2B, I had options. I was ERPR negative, which is hormone negative, and HER2 positive. So being HER2 positive. Does that mean it's not going to go into your hormone, like your hormones aren't going to put it through your glands kind of idea? No, my hormones don't feed the cancer. Okay. My hormones are not the source of the cancer. Okay. Um, and my doctor said this is the best diagnosis you could have with breast cancer because if I was hormone negative and HER2 negative, that's triple negative. That's the worst breast cancer you can have because there's no treatment for it. It's so, fast, right? No, no. It's not fast necessarily. It's just no treatment. So you okay. have to try everything hoping something works. And if you're hormone positive, you um, you have to take medication for five to 10 years. A lot of people have radical hysterectomies and all these things. So yes. because I wanted to freeze my eggs, I chose to have the mastectomy first. I had a double mastectomy on July 5th. Um, I still miss my boobs. Uh, I have, uh, I, I don't have nipples. I don't think we need them. So some women need the nipples for their own psychological, you know, um, well-being. You can get tattoos. Nope. I why? I don't know. So I, I've seen some people and, and actually it's yeah, quite, they need them. They need it for their own understanding. Yeah. It's like an art, like where they do like a tattoo yeah. of a flower and then a, oh, do I, a I, tattoo I of a tattoo. nipple too. No, no. Like they do, they do the whole thing. But like it's an art piece. <laughs> oh yeah, I am. That I'm doing. So I'm. I want a tattoo to cover my entire boobs and my uh, deep flap scar, which is the stomach scar, um, because I don't want to wear a bikini top if I don't have to. And that's the truth. I I don't have to. Like the thing is, is that I don't have nipples. And um, like I have, I have boobs, but I don't have nipples and I could wear a see-through shirt yeah. and nobody would notice, you know? And, um, and so I would love a tattoo to cover all my scars. So that would I, be pretty. sometimes the bikini tops, like they, they come up and I don't feel it. Cause I don't care. I can't feel anything on my boobs. Yeah. That's interesting. I can't, I can't feel temperature. I can feel pressure, but it, 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 it's still not like if someone touches them, I won't know it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's I, like your arm or something, right? Well, if I touch it, I will t- I will feel it with the whatever I'm touching it with, right? With my hand yeah. or whatever. But if someone else touches my boobs, I won't feel it. Yeah. So it's crazy. Dating, I just right? like that's all for you. Because it don't yeah. work for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I um I and I'm okay, you know, I've I've made bees with that too. I've mourned them and um and I froze my eggs. And I said, I'm giving myself till I'm 43. If I'm not married and by 43, it doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm going to dispose of them and donate them to science. And that's what I did. I cried. It was a big cry, yeah. but uh, I disposed of them this last year. 
when I turned 43. And it was expensive well, to keep it going. Well, it is. Yeah. Pay for storage. And so I've made peace with the fact that, you know, I'll never have a biological child and, you know, things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many things that go through this whole thing, isn't it? It's just like yeah. from your body consciousness to mm -hmm. your feelings and oh, just so many things. Yeah. Especially yeah. when you're younger. Mm -hmm. So many things to think about, too. How did you find the chemo? When did you name this tumor? When did that start? I named Clarence um, during the two weeks that I uh, was waiting for my mammogram because I kept touching him and telling him to go away, thinking that he would just go away. Yeah. Um, so it made me think about those kids in school named Clarence that annoy everybody. <laughs> and he's like, go away, Clarence. And that's how Clarence came. And it's funny because when I told both of my dads, my mom's husband was like, yeah, there was a guy I played football with named Clarence and he got on our nerves. And then my biological father was like, yeah, I knew some Clarences back in the day too. So it's like everybody can relate to someone who's annoying named Clarence. Absolutely. You know? That was actually like, what I said to my sister yesterday. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm interviewing a lady who has breast cancer who named her tumor Clarence. And I said, it's funny because like, I, I think of Clarence, the annoying football player, you know, it's just there you go. what I think of. Mm -hmm. So that's how, you know, and so I, you know, and when I talk about him now, I say he's officially black history. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Clarence is no longer, uh, but I am it. What I appreciated about what Clarence did was it was, he was a reminder to people to touch their boobs, to pay attention to their bodies. And I let anyone who wanted to touch him, touch him. I didn't believe, you know, I would, I would cover my nipples so people wouldn't feel offended or feel uncomfortable, but yeah. I would cover my nipple and be like, he's right here at eight o'clock feeling. And he was very pronounced. Like you couldn't, it wasn't like you had to press hard either. He was like right there. Um, and that's what, so when I did this and I felt him, I did a whole exam, arm up, down, stood up. Like, and I was on the phone when I first felt him. So oh, I had dear. to tell my sorority sister, please stop talking. Uh oh. I just felt the lump and I need a minute. Yeah, my heart dropped. Oh, yeah. Because I know my body. And this is why I say touch your boobs. Be familiar with them. Be intimately yes. familiar. You grew them yourself. Like, you know when your hair is shedding, right? Yeah. Because you grew it yourself, right? Yeah. See, same with your boobs. And I was intimately familiar with my boobs. Even my gay friends left my boobs. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what made it really funny was that even like my, the guy, like guys that I had dated in the past and stuff. I even had the guy that I most recently had dated. He was the only man that had touched me in, in over a year. And I asked him to come over and we had just stopped seeing each other like the month before. And I asked him to come over and he came over and, um, and I asked him to touch it and he jumped back and he said, Yosha. And his face was, it was scary to see mm -hmm. his face do that. And we're still friends to this day, by the way. And um, he was like, is that? And I said, have you ever felt that before? Like ever. And we hadn't been intimate a lot, but yeah. we had been intimate. So he had touched me. 
And he said, no. I said, you've never felt that. He said, no. He's like, I would have known if I felt that. Yeah. And when he said that, that told me that in a month, it came up in a month. Crazy. Yeah. And if we um, only knew where it comes from, hey. Yeah. I tell people all the time, and you can edit this out if you want. I believe my deodorant led to my tumor. I and I I have friends who are doctors, who are medical oncologists and who are breast surgeons that, you know, because I've been doing breast cancer advocacy for a while now and I've met so many people and they all say there's no data to prove that. I know for me. Yeah. I said this was 2016. You know what the all natural deodorants were on the market in 2016? Tom's, Schmidt's, Crystal. Mm -hmm. I use Crystal. See? Now, do you know what the natural deodorants are on the market? There's tons. All of them. That's not by coincidence. And I'm not a conspiracy theory theorist, but come on. That's no, your I, data right there. I totally agree with they you. They knew. They just didn't want to be want to use lose their summer homes to lawsuits. Yeah. Yeah, they knew. So I say I use native. Um, and I and I I like the smell of native, um, but I was gifted some Lume. And Lume works. When they say 72 hours, no odor, they serious. Oh, it really? Works. I haven't tried that one. It's just expensive. And, you know, I don't have a full-time job still. so They're all expensive. Um, more expensive than what I was used to because I had been wearing secret deodorant my whole life. And um, after my mammogram, that day, I went home and threw my deodorant in the trash. When when the doctor found that uh, found the fatty lymph node in my armpit, and then I had a the double mastectomy, my breast surgeon took 11 lymph nodes. Oh, really? Guess how many was positive, Miss Tina? Just guess. Eight? Eight? No. How many? Eleven? One. 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 That was it. That's not normal either. Usually it's more than one. Yeah. But I was but that could have meant I was metastatic, or it could have meant that was the only place it went to, right? So him removing those 11, um, he tested all of them. None of them were positive, but that one, and that's the one she saw on the ultrasound. So when, when, when I heard that, I didn't want radiation. Let me just be honest, okay? I didn't want radiation. I started radiation in January of 2017. Um, and... After your mastectomy then? Oh, yeah. I was done with chemo. I had had my mastectomy in July. Started chemo in August. Ended chemo in December. Okay. And I started my uh, radiation that following month. My hair was kind of trying to grow back. Um, and then I was, I was contacted by the local CBS station here in D.C. Because the reporter came across my... GoFundMe page. And she asked if she could interview me. And by that time I had moved out of my friend's house. You know, I lived with this older woman um, who rented a room to me. And I was like, sure. So she came to the woman's house and interviewed me. Um, and then CNN saw her interview online. 
And CNN asked if I could be, uh, if I would like to participate in a town hall about the Affordable Care Act. Because if you asked me, how mm -hmm. did I do it? How did I get through breast cancer? I don't, I don't know how you did this. Surgeries, have all the medications. Obamacare saved my life because I had no insurance. I only had an Obamacare just got approved for me the month before I found the lump. This is how God works. Oh, I'm wow. going to get preachy, but I had been in school. So I had healthcare through school when I couldn't find a job. I had to settle, if you will, for having Obamacare. So I enrolled yeah. in the affordable care act at the end of 2015. Is it based and, on income? Uh, yeah, with. in a way. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I had, I had no income, you know, I wasn't working. Um, and so it, they approved me and I got my insurance card in March and I found the lump in April. So CNN asked me if I would like to participate in this town hall. And, um, and I didn't believe it was really them, the producer. And, uh, and I was like, well, is my husband going to be there? And she said, who is your husband? I said, Anderson Cooper. He's my husband in my head. And, uh, she laughed and uh, she was like, no, unfortunately, it's not. He won't be there. It was so funny. But um, so well, I was out to eat with one of my good girlfriends um, and she. Uh, we were at lunch, I think it was like a Friday afternoon or something, and I said, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, that that was CNN. And she was like and she works for Homeland Security. Let me be very okay. clear, okay? So she was like, uh, are you sure that was CNN? She was very skeptical. Yeah. I said, good question. I said, yeah, it was. She verified her stuff. Like, cause I was talking to her for a minute and my friend is listening. Like she's right there. So. Uh, That's fabulous. Yeah. So I was on CNN and um, it was, uh, I was glad that, um, you know, it was here in D.C., so I got lucky with that, and um, I was able to ask Senator uh, Ted Cruz a question, and uh, my question, I had to come up with it myself, but they helped me, you know, make sure it was concise and everything, and my question was, how can you ensure that I won't spend half of my paycheck trying to pay for health care right i have a pre-existing condition and i was i was on air bald you know um i look great though but Good. still bald um i'm, sure, and, you, I'm um, sure you looked great and i asked him that because i i was afraid to get a job miss tina so it got it was one of those situations where i didn't know if I should even get a job because it's like, if I get a job, most of my money is going to go to healthcare, healthcare yeah. because I had cancer. And, and so when I um, asked him that question, you know, and this isn't a political issue, this is my life. Yes. It's reality. He said, thank you for that question. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. And then he went off on a tangent that had nothing to do with my question. So when, so that was when I knew that it's not in my best interest to work. 
I need to make sure that I am completely after. healthy. Um, yeah. And I have what I need to continue to survive and um, also speak out and tell my story and mm-hmm. tell what Obamacare did for me. It has nothing to do with politics. Again, it's really about the fact that were it not for the Affordable Care Act and you being Canadian, you know how important health care for all is. Yes. I, I don't think I would be here. I really don't. Cause I had nowhere to work. I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere, nowhere to work full time, you know? Um, and even while I was going through radiation, I was looking for jobs. And then a week after the CNN uh, town hall, my skin started to tear. Oh, and underneath my underarm and with my skin from the tearing, stitches like the, the no, from the radiation. Oh, so no one told me to put anything on the area. It wasn't until my skin started to tear. And they said, that's normal. Skin peeling is normal. I said, okay, no problem. They're radiating me every day. I'm going, you know, driving myself. And after a while, I started to have an irritation. And um, and it was like kind of like sore. And it was like my clothes touching it was sore. It was already black. Like it yeah. can get really dark, you know, well, depending on your skin complexion, but uh, red, dark, whatever. And um, that was February 13th, 2017. By February 21st-ish, like right around President's Day, I was in so much pain. And by this time, they told me what I needed to put on it. So I was putting Aquaphor on it. So much pain that I couldn't wear a shirt at home and I had no pain medication. By the end of that week, my armpit was bleeding all of like my, my, my chest. I had blisters. Um, I was burning from the inside out. They had to stop my radiation. So I was scheduled for 26 rounds of radi- radiation. I had 21 rounds and they should have stopped at 13. Um, Sounds so painful. I was burned so bad that no nurse or doctor had ever seen a radiation burn like that. And I I described my burn in in its stages. Thank God I had the the mindset to to take pictures every day because I wanted to see the the progression, it healing. In my head, I'm thinking, it's, right. I'm an optimist now. So I'm not thinking, oh, God, this is the worst thing ever. No, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to heal. Okay. Right. Um, and I thought it was healing. And it got worse and worse. And then it started to heal. And then it started healing, like, from the outside in like this. And then it got to this one spot. And it was about where the tumor was. And I realized that when they do the targeted radiation, they put this thick piece of like plexi plastic stuff on you, right? And that the surrounding area can go right to where the tumor was, right? Right. Like, so there's a, a hole and then the rest is covered? No, it's like, it, it's just a clear like plexi plastic thing and it's heavy. Um, and every other day I got that and 
I realized that that area that wouldn't heal is probably where it got the most radiation directly. Right. And I also felt like it was um, too much, too many rounds, or it was just too much. Um, So the burn healed all the way, and it was like this part in the middle that didn't heal. And then it got infected. Oh, of course. And I've never had an infection like that. I've never, I had never spent the night overnight in a hospital. My, my mastectomy was outpatient. Wow. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so, that quick, is it? Ma'am? It's that quick. Yeah. Them to, yeah. Wow. And my surgeon said that it was cleaner and better for me to be home because I have less risk of infection. So my parents were here. So they just took me home. It was easy. So, but when my, so my burn started on February 15th, on June 15th, 16th, somewhere like that. Um, I woke up with a fever and chills and sweats and it's June. And the woman that I live with, she just, I don't know why, but she just wouldn't turn on the air conditioning and it gets pretty hot here in June. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I'm sweating. I can't wear a shirt at home because I need the air to hit my burn so it'll heal. And I'm doing the whole, you know, I have to carry a bandage, a bandage bag wherever I go because I have to wrap my chest. Um, I had to do all that on my own. I had to do my own wound care because they, when I first started, they would debride my burn with no pain medication. Wow. Um, and it was the worst pain. And then this is 2017 at the height of the opioid crisis. I go to get my prescription filled. I can't find a pharmacy in D.C. that would fill my oxycodone prescription. Come to find out, D.C. would not allow CVS, Rite Aid, any of those to fill oxy prescriptions. So I would have to go to the hospital that wrote the prescription and they would make me sit there for four hours (gasps) in pain just to make sure I'm not going through withdrawal. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. So... This is this is the blessing. DC is right across the street from Maryland. So you know what I did, right? I went right across the street to Maryland, found a pharmacy who would fill my prescription. And I couldn't go too far because Obamacare only take you so far because I got Medicaid, right? So I did that and um I had gone I kept going to that pharmacy until I moved into this apartment. So I went to that I was going to that pharmacy for 3 years. Um, it got my burn. So when my burn became infected, I had been begging for wound care. I had never had wound care, a professional, like a wound care doctor. Yeah. The radiology oncologist was like, oh, you can just keep coming into the clinic and we'll treat it. Um, and then they, um, said that I no longer could come to the clinic and they would treat it. And I had to do it myself at home. Still no wound care. It's not healing. It gets infected. I'm in the hospital the first Father's Day without my biological father because he had passed away the year before, okay? I'm in the hospital with a severe infection, almost septic. My father died of sepsis. He had pneumonia and and he became septic and the sepsis attacked his heart. That was the deepest, that was the fear I can't describe. The conversations that I had with God in that hospital for those four days, 
Because you can't get it out of your head. It's in there. It's no. like you can't take it out. It's there. Right. So the one thing I did that was very cathartic for me was, um, and it's funny because I'm doing that right now. Don't judge me. I have ADHD. Um, I would watch Grey's Anatomy. Oh, and that's that was interesting. Cathartic, right. So that uh, that Friday night, I believe. So I was admitted on Thursday, and then Friday comes. And I'm in so much pain. They only can give me with so much pain medication. Um, and I just want to die. Mm-hmm. And I ask, I beg God to come get me. And it's not that I'm suicidal or anything like that. It really was, I was tired of the pain. Yeah. And I thought the only way the pain would stop is if I just passed away. Um, and I said, you know, God, Please come get me. Jesus, where are you? Yeah. And Jesus said, did you hear my sandals come down the hallway? And I said, no, sir. He said, then roll over and keep watching Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> and that's what sweet. I did. And I, I think I eventually fell asleep. Um, and the, the infection cleared up. And I was in the hospital for four, almost five days. And then... I don't know who came up with the bright idea to put Manuka honey directly yeah. on my burn. Mind you, my burn was a, it, it was still pretty big. And I had this one dark spot, that one spot I told you about, but it was still pretty big. And, um, and they placed this big slab of honey on my chest and they did it wrong. And it's oh. now being released. I go into convulsions because it's searing into my chest mm-hmm. and I'm crying and, I'm shaking and then my nurse, I mean, my breast navigator comes in and she says, um, oh my God, what's going on? Neosha, what's wrong? She's so sweet, Miss Gail. And I said, I don't know, it just hurts so bad. I'm just crying. And um, and she was like, I've never seen you cry like this. And I was like, it just, I don't know. And I'm sweating. Mind you, I'm about to be released. Come to find out the nurses didn't wet it. They just plopped it on there. And had they wet it, it wouldn't have seared into me like it did. It's kind of like almost like soaked in. Did it just like, oh, no. And I called my radiology oncologist, begged them. And I never say who or where I had radiation because it was such a horrible experience for me. I don't think that person ever did this again. But um, I called the radiology oncologist and begged them. Please give me a wound care specialist, please. I'm bawling. Gail goes in the hallway and calls my breast surgeon. My breast surgeon must have called a radiology oncologist because I had a wound care doctor to go to in like a week. Oh, good. And then that's when I learned that my my burn would never heal unless I go through hyperbaric oxygen treatment. So, you know, I'm cussing Clarence out at this point, right? Because Clarence yeah. ruined my life. Yeah. Causing um, you such pain. Pain, grief, all the things. Um, so I start hyperbaric oxygen treatment. And, and what do they have to do for that? So hyperbaric oxygen treatments where they put you in this tube, right? Or a chamber. Some of them, some place that big old chambers, but it's just a tube. They slide you in on the table and it, and it, they, it, and it's, it's adding oxygen to your blood to expedite healing. 
That's what it's supposed to do. Uh-oh. I go, I do hyperbaric oxygen treatment Monday through Friday for maybe two months. And still the same situation. I was, at this point, I'm not in pain like I was, but I'm still in pain. I'm itching. Oh. And I'm itching from the inside out. So because I was itching so bad, it was like, it was worse than pain. I will tell people, you give me pain any day of the week, honey. That itch that you can't scratch is worse because with pain, I could take a pill. Yeah. I could do something about it. You know what I did with my itching? I had a, a, a temp job and I worked for FEMA and there was an empty floor when I, cause I worked overnights. So mind you, I'm working from 2.30 PM, 3.30 PM until 12 midnight. I go home, force myself to go to sleep. I sleep from like four to like six, 6.30. And then I go to hyperbaric oxygen treatment at seven. And I did this for three months. I would go to that second floor where there was no one working. And I would go into the handicapped stall, the bathroom, and I would beat my chest. And I would sing. I would pray. I would sing gospel songs. I would jump up and down. And I would beat it until it hurt. And then I would take an oxy pill. And I'd go back to work. My my pain had gotten so severe at that point, though, that the wound care specialist uh, prescribed me fentanyl patch and it was a slow release patch and then i would take the oxycodone only when the fentanyl would start wearing off right and i was very good about that to the point where i still have drugs in my house like i hope no one ever robs this house because they're going to get really lucky in my in my drawer in there you know um because i wouldn't take it all the time you know yeah yeah i'll try not to push through sleep try to sleep through the pain so Finally, I start talking to surgeons about reconstruction because I'm third at this time. I'm 37. I'm not in a relationship, not married. I want to be married at the time. I wanted to have kids. Yeah. So I need boobs. I already don't have hair. Now I got to not have boobs. No, I'm not doing that. So yeah. I um, start talking to surgeons. And the surgeon that I had been meeting with for months and she just loved me. We had a great relationship. She said, I don't think I can do this surgery because I think the radiation fried your blood vessels in your chest, in the middle of my chest. Oh, talk about devastated. I cried. And I said, what do you mean? Like, I just didn't understand. Like, why? And I couldn't get implants because I had no skin and no tissue where my burn was. My burn was took it all. I had a thin layer of muscle, a little bit of tissue that had started to come back and my rib cage, that was it. So I had no skin. So she said, I think you should consider this different surgery where they use your stomach to create your breast. Oh. And, um, and I said, isn't that what I wanted at first? She said, yeah, but this is a, called a free flap that was a connected where my blood vessel stayed connected and they swung the top of my stomach up to my boob i don't want to get into too much like you know 
details for the board, the, uh, the watch, the viewers. But so I had to go to a different surgeon at a different hospital. So I met this surgeon who was new to the hospital and she had just come from the University of Kansas Medical Center, which is right across the street from Kansas City, Missouri. So my father and my brother both were treated at KU. My father passed away at KU, um, loved KU. So I knew she was great. And this was her second career. So she was already a surgeon in the Navy and she had retired. So she was very thorough. You were in good hands. Very thorough. Yeah. And it made me feel good because, you know, my best friend was an officer in, in the Army. Um, I went to a military high school. I wasn't in, in ROTC, but a lot of my friends were. So I trusted that. Yeah. She, um, so she said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. I mean, she just like was going through it. And we scheduled my surgery. The week before my surgery, I, I, I was told that they had to reschedule it because she had a skiing accident, messed up her knee. Say nothing but the devil. Uh, so this is what I mean by God's got jokes. When I say my, my book is titled God's got jokes for a reason, it's because whenever I thought I was moving forward, God was like, ha ha. But I yeah. got a joke for gotcha. you. So I always say that God used to be like, knock, knock. <laughs> and every time I hear now, I'm like, oh, what now? That's what um, I said. Yeah. I'd, I'd wake up, I'd open my eyes and I'd say, oh, I'm just going to go back to sleep. I don't want to know yeah. about today. <laughs> I don't want to adult today. I don't want to know. Just whatever it is, I don't want to know. So I, um, I just kept working at FEMA until I didn't have to anymore. And then um, that's when I learned that my friend that I had lived with when I first was homeless. Yeah. Um, he called me a week before my surgery and said, Hey sis. And I was like, Hey, I said, I got something to tell you. He's like, I got something to tell you. So, uh, I told him first that, you know, my surgery was next week and he was like, I got lymphoma. Oh dear. So this is 2018. And, um, and I said, okay. So, We've heard a cancer diagnosis before between us, right? And what did you tell me to do? I said, so I'm going to tell you the same thing. You've got to fight. You have to fight. He said he's going to start chemo, all these things. So my surgery. I think they do blood injections, don't they? Um, he couldn't. Oh. He had other health complications, so he couldn't. Um, so my, I asked, I had to ask my best friend's husband. <laughs> that can can feel come and take me to surgery, take me to my surgery appointment because he's the only person that can make medical decisions for me. And it was an 11 hour surgery. Oh dear. So it's anywhere from 10 to 12 hours surgery. It's a very long wow. time. But because of my burn, it definitely was gonna be more than 10 hours. So um, and the surgeon, she was like, Oh, we're just gonna cut it off. Don't worry about the burn. We're gonna cut it off. And I just loved her confidence. So I go into the hospital on February 7th to have what's called the deep flap uh, reconstruction. And I'm excited because I'm going to leave with two boobs. Yeah. So excited. And then uh -oh. I have the surgery. I wake up. I see Phil. Phil's on text. I got my family on a group text. So he's keeping everybody updated. Like I said, we grew up together. So my family knows him. And he's telling me, oh, you did good, babe. You're great. Da, da, da. You know, the family's on the phone and they just love you. And I was like, something's wrong. It hurts. 
So when you have a surgery for that long and you've been under anesthesia that long, when you wake up, you should not feel pain. No. I felt pain. I didn't feel like I had been hit by a truck. That's how you're supposed to feel. Like, you, like you're just achy all over. Yeah. It was described to me vividly. So that's what I expected. I felt pain. So I had a resident that worked with the surgeon and I called him McDreamy because he had really gray hair. <laughs> um, I told you Grey's Anatomy is my favorite show. So, uh, so the nurses, so I woke up and I looked at the nurse and, and so Phil was hitting my pain button. He ain't supposed to, but he didn't know. And, and the nurse was like, no, no, she has to do it. And, um, but it wasn't, it would just make me sleepy. So I would doze back off. I would wake up again. And I said, Phil, something's wrong. It hurts. Get the nurse. The nurse checks the boobs. You know, oh, no, they're great. And then she goes, hmm. On this side, she goes, hmm. She said, she go get another nurse. The other nurse checks. Is now, this the bad side or the good side? I kept saying, ouch. So at this point, I don't know. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. So the, um, the other nurse checks. And she goes, hmm. So, and mind you, I'm groggy, but I remember all of this happening. And so the nurse goes, go get the resident. So McDreamy comes over and he checks and then he looks and he goes, get me a suture kit. And he cuts my stitches from underneath here. And I go, oh, oh, it's pulling. I was feeling the stitches ripping from the bottom because my 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 blood was clotting um and my boob was swelling and it and it happened so quick um so he covered me up and he said we're going to take you back into the OR we're going to get the doctor back here the surgeon um so she can try to save it um I woke up the next basically later the next day yeah uh, and she That's tried magical. She, she tried for four hours. Holy. Mm -hmm. So I went from an 11 hour surgery to a 15 hour surgery. Your poor like body. Three hours in between. Yeah. And I, um, I woke up and I was told that um, I had a failed flap and that the doctor would come to look at other options. I didn't even know what that mean, meant at the no. time. And the person that told me wasn't McDreamy. It was another resident who was not very nice. Um, and I didn't understand. And then she told me that, you know, the blood kept clotting and she couldn't save it. Mind you, this is on the non-cancer side. Right. So this is why my book is called God's Got Jokes. Because at this point, excuse my language, this is some bullshit. That's yeah. how I feel. Yeah. I could not believe that the Hail Mary boob worked and the other one didn't. Oh my gosh. Guys got jokes. So I'm he either on. doesn't want you to have any or what <laughs> exactly is it? I go into the hospital with no boobs, think I'm leaving with two, I leave with one. So I was in ICU for a whole week um, on a heparin drip. Um, with one boob with one boob. I called her Solo Dolo because I told you I name everything. Her name was Solo Dolo for three months. And thank God I was a curvy girl before. So I could use some stuff. 
So the surgeon said, let's try a latissimus flap. I didn't know what latissimus was. Your latissimus dorsi muscle is the muscle that's like right at your bra strap in the back behind you. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's usually like the where like some women have the fat that hangs over their bra. That's the latissimus. So she said, what we're going to do is we're going to swing it around. We're not doing a free flap. It's going to stay connected and we're going to swing it around to the front. Wow. It's that stretchy to do that. Wow. The human body is a wow. So in addition to me healing from having a hip to hip scar, because they took my my stomach off and plopped it up here and this side failed. They created me a new belly button. I hate my new belly button, by the way. Mm-hmm. Hate it. My my original was cute. Um, my new one is ugly. I've even thought about getting a a, a, a belly button ring because it's that ugly to me. Yeah. Um, it's never the same after me. I have to, you know, thank God I'm here. That's and for sure. So three months later, I had another surgery. It was, uh, I was in the hospital for, the, for five days. For the other one. For the other boot. So I have two. So when I, so people, they think I'm funny and I am because my mom is hilarious. So I'm a little funny. <laughs> But when I say this is my stomach, this is my boob, I mean that. I mean, shoot, this is my back. This is my stomach. This is my back. Both boobs, they're cousins. They're first cousins. Yeah. Moms have the same parents. So this is Seneca. I'm sorry. This is Sean. This is Seneca. So Sean's my cousin who's older than Seneca, but Seneca's taller than Sean. So this boob was bigger than bigger. this one for a long time. And I had to wait until 2020 to get them balanced out. So they would suck fat from my stomach, from my thighs. I told them to suck fat from anywhere they could because I had plenty and to even them out, you know. And, and then put it in it there? Huh? And then they put it into there? Mm-hmm. And they injected it. Um, and we, um, I did five rounds of fat grafting. So I had five revisions to my boobs. And so I've had eight surgeries total, the mastectomy, both flaps, and five revisions. Um, You're a bionic woman. My last two revisions were during the pandemic because I didn't want to have, I just wanted 2019 to myself. I had five surgeries in one year, in 2018. I had both flaps and three revisions in 2018. Um, So 2019, I was just trying to work and get on my feet. Yeah. Um, and in 2018, also, I had to reschedule one of my surgeries because my brother passed away from multiple myeloma. So that was hard to, yeah. to wake up from a surgery and he's not here because that would always be yeah. the second call. Call my mom and him and I call my call my brother. brother. So that was hard. And the nurses comforted me. So I called his girlfriend and talked to her and that made me feel better. Um, and then um, after the pandemic, so the day the pandemic really hit, I was supposed to go meet with my surgeon to talk about my uh, next revision and um, they canceled my appointment and everything was shutting down. That was March 13th. Um, so the pandemic really started like on my 40th birthday on March 9th, I always say. Um, but so that October, I had a new surgeon because my surgeon ended up retiring oh. during the pandemic. Yeah. But this surgeon was gifted at forming boobs. So, you know, I had to talk to God about that too. Like, okay, I, I, I don't get sick. I never got sick during chemo. 
I don't want COVID, but I really need these boobs balanced out. Like I need it because this one was really like a double D. And yeah. then this one was like almost flat. It was like just, it was really just there to save the burn, to get rid of the burn. So I had a hard time with shirts and, you yeah. know. Yeah. So I, I just, um, so I really wanted that done. And then when she um, balanced them out, they needed to be formed, but she wanted to wait for another another surgery. So I had one more surgery in May. So that was October 2020. And in May 2021, I had one more surgery. So what I started to learn when I was having these surgeries was that chemo damaged my veins. And it was always hard for them to find an IV line. Right. So whenever someone takes blood from me, I say, may the odds ever be in your favor. Because I've woken up with an IV in my foot before because Ooh. chemo blew my veins. And, um, and so... In, in May of 2021, it took them three hours to find a vein because the one person in the whole hospital that could always find my vein on the first hit was on vacation. Oh. My book's called God's Got Jokes for a reason. Yeah. So oh, I I can't they had a pick line in order for me to have surgery. Um, so I go through all of this, you know, and all the while I've moved several times, by the way, through all of this. And I'm, I'm not working full time. I'm teaching, you know, yeah. family every now and then. Trying to get through with this. Yeah. I come from a working class family. You know, my, I've always made more money than my parents. And um, so they didn't have any, they had thoughts and prayers and I'll take it. Um, I had, but I have very successful friends. So they were really helpful. And, um, you know, my sorority sisters, um, my church, um, so that helped me. And that um, was your support line. That's my village. Yep. And in 2019, I started working um, part time. Um, and then I just wanted to kind of like get my footing with working yeah. and I was still teaching. So that helped um, a lot. But then when the pandemic hit, I didn't have a job. Yeah. So um, I was able to, you know, sustain myself on unemployment and all the all the things you get with the COVID um, that um epidemic epidemic yeah um but the 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 thing that really i will say kept me was me remembering that fear and worry does not go with faith and prayer no it's like so opposites if i'm going to say i'm christian if i'm going to pray and have faith i can't be afraid and i can't worry and that was a sermon recently that my pastor uh, preached because I've been dealing with some financial issues recently, you know, personal, well, just everything. personal everything. things. And so I've been fasting and praying. And he said, if you prayed, why worry? That was the title of his sermon. Oh, that's and, nice. And I got to the point where I had to learn, you know, everybody has their theme for the year. Usually my new year is March 9th. But God kept telling me, be patient. It's coming. Be patient. Be patient. Um, and I don't I, like their timing either. <laughs> but you know what? There's a lot of things I don't like. You say, okay? I don't like it until I get on the other side of it and I understand the timing. But I, I agree. I'm like, why now? Dang. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Or why not now? Let's like, let's I mean, speed this up. Okay. Come on. Right. <laughs> so, and, and I'm neurodivergent. So I am. I'm, it's not even that I'm impatient. It's that 
as I used to be a severe stutterer as a kid. My father was almost 73 years old when he passed away and he still stuttered. And I mean, to where I hated talking to him on the phone as a, as a child because he stuttered that bad. And I still stutter sometimes, but um, I've kind of outgrown it and I know how to manage it, right? Well, what awesome. I think about being neurodivergent is how fast my brain is working. And yeah. that's where the impatience come from. Yeah. It's not that I just want what I want when I want it. It's really that, okay, God, like I'm, I, I, I got all these other things in my head and I need this to happen because I got to do this next thing. I do this next thing. I do this next thing. And, um, and so that's where I've been hearing that I've been journaling. Um, and I, I'm to, not a journal person. And it's trying to bring it down a bit, bring it down. It's, a lot. it's helped a lot. Adderall yeah. helps too, but it, it has helped a lot. Um, so that's really my, my crazy breast cancer story for the most part. Um, that is crazy. Yeah. You yeah. have three names, I think. Clarence. And what were the other two? Oh, my boobs. Yeah, the new ones. Oh, yeah. Sean and Sonika. So it's funny because like, they are my actual cousins. So they think I'm crazy because I've named my boobs after them, right? But I'm like, because they don't look anything alike. They really don't. But they are cousins. I, They're I like blood that. cousins. So that's how I, I look at it. I and, like that. Um, and yeah, so even, you know, losing my hair and all the things that I went through, I, I was ready for my hair to go. It was cancer hair. I didn't want it anyway. So the way I see things, and a lot of people struggle with losing their hair. Yeah, it's um, a hard thing. And I think, I don't think I had a problem losing it because I knew it would happen. Even though I always think I'm going to be like the 1% that I won't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm more so the 1% that's going to have a complication. So that's how I look at it now. But um, but I had a haircut party. So my Afro, I had an Afro and her name was in, her name is India. And um, I had to talk to her and tell her she has to go away for a little while, but she's going to come back better and healthier. And she did. She, um, Good. but you know, she has some yeah, beautiful hair, but yeah. So, um, but she just doesn't grow very well. So that's why I have to get the twist, you know, the hair twisted in, but she's strong and I'm Good. grateful for having hair and boobs. So every morning I wake up. I thank God for my hair and my boobs. Isn't that a cute? That's so cute. I think we should all be thanking God for something. Amen. Amen. That's for sure. We're thanking the universe. Everybody don't believe in God and I get it. But thanking the universe because people would think people used to think tell me that, you know, they were concerned that people who were not Christians would have a problem or not done believe in religion right. would have a problem with my book because um because the name of the book is God's Got Jokes, right? I was gonna tell you to bring it out. <laughs> yeah, and the and but the thing is, is that this is God's jokes in my breast cancer's journey. That's right. You know, this is how, and and that's what the subtitle is: how I use my faith and God's humor to survive breast cancer. Um, and my book is multimedia. It um, so every chapter has a QR code. Okay. So because I got a PhD in communication, culture, and media, and hadn't been doing anything with it, but teaching part time, so. This was a cool idea that uh, me and another girl came up with. And so every QR code, you scan it and it takes you to my website. And it's only you only can get to the website, these particular parts through that QR code. You can go to the website on the front side, but these are very specific. And it has music and pictures from that chapter. Oh, nice. So you That's a nice are, addition. Yeah, you are on a multimedia journey with me and Clarence and India. You know, I call it in chemo 
basically chemo and all her little friends. That's what I call it. Oh, so that was all true. my side effects from chemo, like losing my hair and the other things that happen with chemo that I don't want to say on your on your show. Chemo um, and all her friends. All her little friends. Just all her little friends. Yeah. Mm. I love that. I chemo love was that. a B. But nothing was as bad as the uh, radiation was awful too. Yeah, as the burn. Yeah. The I, I watched the burn my angel. a girlfriend of mine at age 60 go through mm. radiation and it just well, it killed her. It was just too much. Wow. Just too I'm much. I'm so sorry. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you could see the declining. I, I guess it was just too far gone, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's an awful thing to watch as well yeah. when it's not working. Mm-hmm. So thank goodness your stuff was kind of not to do with the cancer, but, you know, like you needed something else to worry about. <laughs> That's the joke, right? That's the joke. But I do welcome um, all of your um, your viewers to take the multimedia journey. Um, I encourage everyone to order directly from me because yeah. Jeff Bezos has enough money. Um, but, and we're going to put it down in the description box below yes. for everybody. Yes. And I emboss, I sign every book, write a little note to everyone, and That's I give lovely. a little gift to everyone who orders a book from me. That's beautiful. That's really nice. And I like your idea with the QR code. Yeah. Um, my publisher said that no one has ever done it before. So I went, I was in a book author program. And I was the first person to ever do that. And every chapter has its own. First of all, the whole the, the original idea that me and this girl came up with was I have one QR code. <laughs> and I was like, no, I want one for each chapter. It's awesome. And, and there's music. Um, you know, I have a playlist on the first uh, on my author's note chapter. And it's 36 songs. because I was 36 when I was diagnosed. And it's songs ranging from, you know, Journey to... Um, Anthony Brown and Group Therapy, which is a gospel group. Yeah. You know, so you hear, yeah, you hear Queen, you know, Freddie Mercury's my friend in my head. That's my favorite band of all time. Um, so there's Queen on there, but then there's also um crap. Uh India Irie, you know. Uh so I just I tried to these are all I mean, Imagine Dragons is how I survived ICU for a week. Okay. I first of all, I love Imagine Dragons. And they have a concert special on like Netflix or something. It's really good. But so I have their music on there too. And it's just like throughout each chapter. And there's a chapter called um, The Makings of Me. And it's a play on a, on a song by the um, the soul singer Curtis Mayfield. And it's about my family. And you get to see pictures, you know, from, so you get to see what Pam looks like. <laughs> you know, people always be like, what does Pam look like? Because yeah. Pam's special. But uh, but also see what my biological father looked like. Really, you could just be like, every time someone compliments me on my looks, I always say, courtesy of the little old man. Uh, so my biological father, um, I look a lot like him. And uh, I don't really look like Pam. But I have Pam in me for sure. Uh but yeah, so I look a lot like Gene and um, he was a very attractive man. So I feel like if he was good looking, then I must be good looking. Then you're okay. <laughs> you should put, your, you're making me want to go get the book. Um, you should um, add your TV show into that, each of those chapters in the QR code too. Talking like about Grey's Anatomy? Yeah, you should, oh, you that's should put links to it or something. That's oh, what that's you were watching the, during that chapter. You know, what's funny is that I binged Grey's Anatomy and ER 
through my journey. And uh, I have a friend um, who just um, had their own health um, issues. And they said they started watching Grey's Anatomy while recovering. And I'm like, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, you know, and I always say, welcome to the family because I am ride or die for Grey's. And um, I tell people all the time that ER, and I had never watched ER straight through before Mm -hmm. my big surgery when I had to be laid up for months. And, um, and actually my friend passed away during that time. So I guess I wasn't laid up for, for months, but, um, but yeah. And I mean, so I'm now, I'm now binging St. Elsewhere. Oh, okay. so I always say St. Elsewhere walked. No, St. Elsewhere crawled so ER could walk. ER walked so Grey's Anatomy can run. Because every story, this is 1982. They had AIDS stories in 1982, 83. Yeah. Um, and I also have a PhD in media, so I'm a dork like that anyway. But it's just, and it's really cool to see like Denzel before he became Denzel, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember saying elsewhere when I was like six, seven years old, but I didn't know that it started when I was like three, you know, so it was really, it's, so I've been watching that off and on on Hulu, but, uh, but yeah, I love Grey's. I can watch every episode straight through like forever. I don't care. Well, you should add those links. I did. I, I mean, maybe, I do have something, some references, but maybe there's some people ones. that would be going through some chemo and stuff too. And then they can catch up on those episodes well and say, like, you did too. So, oh, that would be great. Yeah. Maybe that would be I like encourage a it. true family. So that's something I definitely try to do then. That's so Thank beautiful. You. I appreciate all, all of your, your, your stories and, and just trying to make it better for anybody else going through this. Yeah. Because it's quite the journey. It is. It is. Um, and I always say I'm still on it. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, I'm still on it. I do breast cancer advocacy with the Tiger Lily Foundation. Um, and I, one of our team members actually lives in Toronto. And uh, and I talk to her all the time. And I am, you know, it's still continuing. You know, yes. the You're last chapter of my be. book, I think it's called The Best is Yet to Come, if I'm not mistaken. Um now I can't remember if there's no place like yeah the best is yet to come more than likely and uh and that's how I look at it the yeah. best is yet to come absolutely and I appreciate your book too so we're gonna make sure your description is is all your details are down below as well okay so um, if everybody would like share and subscribe it's a little bit longer today but you know what I absolutely loved it and I love you too Thank you know show that it's just a beautiful beautiful story how you've made it bloom from something so <laughs> desert like and miserable. Yeah. Oh, so hard to go through. And if I got inspiration, I'm sure other people will also get inspiration from it. Too. Thank you. I appreciate that, Miss Tina. I really do. I'm 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 just I'm naturally an inspiring person, but you know, I meet women all the time in my advocacy work who have overcome things. Um, and I always say there is, there are no, there are no levels to this. Okay. Overcoming is overcoming, conquering, being more than a conqueror, be it, um, an abusive marriage, be it a terminal illness, be it, um, 
yeah, I have a sorority sister who had a kidney transplant, um, you know, and she's doing well, you know, but her first one failed, you know. So I think about things that we that people overcome. We are resilient people. Yeah. Women are resilient. Full stop. You know, yeah. just as our gender, we are very resilient, but we are resilient people. And um, so when people try to downgrade what they've overcome because of what I've overcome, I tell them, no, it it that's just as important. Yeah. OK, so I just try my best to let people know that, um, you know, it gets better. Yeah, but, it's like grief. Like yours isn't yes. worse than mine, and mine isn't worse than yours. And exactly. I try not to compare. Yeah. I try to you know let people know the truth. Yeah. Um, and encourage people. Just keep living. What kind of final message? Even though that was a whole bunch of final messages there. <laughs> you have, do you have one that you'd like to give the listeners? Um. Um. Fear. And worry doesn't Take go it out of your dictionary. Yeah, exactly. You know, just um, if you've been, if you discover your own clearance, whatever it may be, make the decision to fight. You have to choose to fight. Um, I wrote an article recently for the Tiger Lily magazine. My Life Matters is a digital magazine. I'll send it to you, Tina. And um, and I talked about how I made the decision to fight, yeah. you know, it, in the art and the magazine issue was faith over fear. And um, so I, I decided and I didn't give up. I could have given up when I was homeless. I could have given up when my father passed away suddenly. And so I had to times. Like, travel there after having surgery of freezing my eggs and travel to Kansas City to memorialize him and plan his services myself. You know, I could have given up, you know, when my burn happened and then when I had a failed flap and then my friend died on my birthday. On my 38th birthday, my friend who took me in and nobody else would passed away. Could he have not chosen a better day? Actually, I love the fact that on his tombstone forever, both of our birthdays would be there. That's true. And we were born in the same year, even though nobody really knew that. I knew, but he never told people how old he was. He, He, you know, black don't crack. That's why I drink out of this book. That's awesome. You know, but uh, but it's really funny. And um, so that gives me comfort, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I dedicated my book to him, my father and my brothers. Um, my my other brother passed away in 2022 from um metastatic lung cancer. Um that was hard because it I had to travel to LA and go to his appointments and sign the HIPAA forms and that was hard. That's um, crazy. His birthday is the day before mine. So that was a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast. Talk about losing my siblings <laughs> and yes. my mother. But um, but I still got my, my mom and my dad. Oh, I think that's someone beautiful. is calling you. Yeah, a- it's just ringing. I'm sorry. It's, it's going to go off. Yeah. It'll go off. And I think. <laughs> wrap up. Problem. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you listeners too. I hope that we can reach one person. That's my ultimate goal. Amen. I think we should be able to reach all sorts of people with this message because it can help and guide you, 
you know, maybe one day they'll be saying, well, what did Neosh say to do that for that? What did she say to do for this? And, you know, maybe it will be a thing. Just like when we pull out a Kleenex out of the Kleenex box. So Thank let's you hope that, me. oh, I appreciate it every second of, of, of the show. It was absolutely wonderful. And you guys just don't forget that you're not all Superman, even though you think you are, you're not. Because anything can happen, mm-hmm. as our wonderful guest here told us today, that, you know, something can happen. And it's going to catch you when you least expect it. And there's no better time Ooh. than being prepared in any little bit of shape or form mm-hmm. so that when the time does come and you're standing outside and there's been a wildfire and you go to look at where your house is and it's down to the ground, that you'll be happy that you did the preparations beforehand because you can't turn time back. Right. So that being said, thank you everybody for coming on our show. Um, And I can appreciate you. And if you have any messages that you'd like comments, I can send to Neosha that it, you know, I can pass them over to her, or if you'd like to message her yourself, please feel free to do that. We love each and every one of you. And thank you, Neosha, for coming on and being thank you. so open to your story. I appreciate you. Thank you. And everybody else, we love you. Stay safe and be kind. And don't forget, you're not a Superman, but you can... Um, grab onto one of our free webinars next month talking about emergency preparedness, how to be safe, how to be secure, and how to do it yourself because we're not told how to do those things in school. And we're certainly not told until after something's happened and you're thinking, oh, why didn't I do that? Mm-hmm. When you wish you had pictures of every room of your house um, before the fire so that you can deal with your claims easily. Mm. That's just one little tip for you guys mm-hmm. today. So thank you. Thank you for everybody. And we'll stay tuned for next week's show and stay safe and be kind. Love you. Bye, everybody. Bye.